Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup to nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to a very special episode of On the Side with Jackie London. I am thrilled. I mean, honestly, I'm thrilled to be here and to have you all here listening with me. I have an amazing guest today that I'm so, so excited to share with you. And I'm actually recording this before we get on the phone and I'm feeling a little bit nervous. Like I feel like my heart rate is up, but I can only imagine she's going to be incredible. So Nikki May is a Bristol-born, Lagos-raised, Anglo-Nigerian author. She is the author of the brand new book, Wahala, which came out in January. And it's fantastic. I devoured this book <laughs> in on a plane and it was incredible. I loved every second of it. But as I was reading it, it occurred to me, so it's been compared to, um, you know, people always do this like comparison thing in publishing that's like a hybrid of, you know, Joan of Arc and the girl on the train. <laughs> and you're like, that makes no sense. Like, I don't understand. But in this case, the comparison that was made about Nikki May's book, Wahala, was a cross between Sex and the City and The Other Black Girl. It is fantastic. It's so good. It occurred to me as I was reading that the real fourth character in this book, the fourth protagonist character, is food. And it is a fantastic deep dive into Nigerian cuisine, into British cuisine. I just loved everything about it. So I know you're going to as well. Nikki, just for background, she was previously running a successful ad agency before turning to writing. She lives in Dorset, England with her husband, two standard schnauzers. And according to her, this is according to her website, way too many books. <laughs> which I love. I mean, who can get enough books? No one can get enough books and snacks. That's really going to be, perhaps that's the title of this episode. I don't know. Let's see where we land. All right. Without further ado, please enjoy Nikki May, author of the brand new book, Wahala, which you've got to get immediately. It is available everywhere the books are sold and you can find it online. I loved the audiobook. I've got to give a shout out to that as well. So please enjoy. Let me know what you think. And of course, if you're not already subscribed, please, please subscribe to On the Side with Jackie London. Uh, you can get that wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Just hit subscribe. Um, and please, if you like the episode today, if you if this inspires you, if there's something that you want to talk more about, please feel free to let me know by leaving a review and of course, a five-star rating. All right. I will see you on the other side. Enjoy Nikki May. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. Today's question is a great one, and it's super straightforward, and I love when that happens. It is, do I need to avoid MSG? Short answer is no. 
Actually, <laughs> research shows that monosodium glutamate, which is otherwise known as MSG, a flavor enhancer that's used to create that kind of umami flavor that we typically associate with Asian cuisine here in the U.S., um, it actually may be a safer, beneficial alternative to boosting salty-tasting food um, because it doesn't actually require that you add that much extra sodium to any given meal or, um, or packaged food. So the FDA considers MSG generally recognized as safe. And what's really interesting about it is that the FDA estimates that we're consuming naturally from foods around 13 grams of that naturally occurring glutamate. It's um it's found in protein. And we get it from lots of different places. You'll also find it in tomatoes, in cheese. And while intake of added MSG is around 0.5 grams per day, right? In the research that's been done to date, you'd have to consume it at levels so much higher than that, up to three grams. And crazily, <laughs> that's up to three grams without food. This is the only way that this has been evaluated in order to experience any kind of symptoms that are typically associated with these, you know, when people talk about MSG, they often speak about it in this really kind of derogatory way, which is called Chinese restaurant syndrome. This is not an evidence-based term, and it's certainly not an evidence-based theory either, because most foods with added MSG only have about 0.5 grams of MSG, and that's what people are attributing, this kind of cause and effect idea of, oh, I have these symptoms of Chinese restaurant syndrome, like headaches. That's nearly impossible possible, right? Because three grams or more of MSG without food is the only time that research has ever shown that the three grams is, is that kind of threshold for which you'd have to be able to see any sort of symptoms or any feelings of lethargy or those headaches, right? And that has only been evaluated without consuming food with this like synthetic version of being like shot up with MSG. It's kind of insane to think about. Um, a typical serving of food with added MSG, remember, contains less than that 0.5 grams. So consuming more than three grams of MSG without food at one time is basically unlike, it's just not happening. Um, but what I really think is fascinating about this is that despite the fact that this has gotten this completely arbitrary bad reputation. I mean, truly arbitrary and and honestly, to some extent, derogatory, right? Like this is, it's kind of like, I don't know when exactly this started, but I think, you know, we talked a lot about this in the Eric Huang episode um, from uh, from Pecking House, who was explaining that like a lot of what we, what we understand as Chinese cuisine in the United States is very different from, from what we actually, what is actually consumed in mainland China, right? Like it's a, just a very different type of uh, approach to actually cooking meals with herbs and spices and what based on what's available to you. I think a lot of where this comes from is just this idea that we um that in the Americanized version of Asian cuisine, we often are consuming foods that then tend to have a lot more sodium in them. It's from the stock and broth that we consume, it's from um soy sauce, it's from uh uh, tamari is another one. It's often from fish sauce. There's a lot of different ways that when we consume the Americanized version of some of these typical and more traditional meals, where we wind up adding a bunch of shit into that mix that can wind up increasing the overall sodium content. So that's where I think, and again, that is pure hunch here. That's not research because there is no research that suggests that there's any downside to consuming MSG in the amounts that are generally recognized as safe or really the amounts that are actually 
in the food that we consume every day. Okay. So what do we do about it? So I, because I can't stand it when people do things like, well, there's no research on that. So that must not be happening to you, right? I feel like that's a form of like food, nutrition slash medical gaslighting. And I'm not here for that. So if you are, for whatever reason, consuming something that doesn't agree with you, please stop eating it. No need to do that. <laughs> not here for that. However, it's unlikely that MSG is the culprit of any kind of negative symptoms, negative side effects, anything that you're associating that could actually be a result of being sensitive to an amount of sodium in food, especially because when you think about what MSG is and what glutamate is just naturally, is that it's giving you that umami flavor. It's giving you that tanginess in the, the kind of back of your tongue area. That's where it's really associated. Um, so think about what types of cuisines that might be found in, right? Like where you're having lots and lots of sodium. Where are those high sodium foods coming from? Well, they're coming from restaurant meals and they're coming from packaged foods. That's where about 80% of the sodium in the U.S. comes from. So what do we do instead? Let's just use takeout as an example because that, of course, falls into the restaurant meals or the meals consumed out of the home, right? Um, ordering veggie-heavy steamed versions of your favorites, wherever you're ordering from, but particularly, actually, this is a great one, and I talk about it a lot when ordering in from any type of Asian cuisine, is that make sure they are ordering this veggie-heavy steamed version, load up on something like the, like, I'm going to use steamed broccoli as an example, get the sauce in a different dish. Then you have the opportunity to naturally cut back on that sauce um, just by mixing in some of the added veggies. So you've added volume, you've added fiber, and you've also added calcium, magnesium, and potassium. And that's really important because those are the kind of mineral counterbalances to high levels of sodium that you can consume from food. So making sure that you're kind of getting a little bit more of that balance in whenever you are having something that you know is going to be loaded up with sodium. Another thing to really make sure that you're doing is to can, is to keep hydrating. So having at least eight to 10 cups of water a day, great for a normal day of eating. But if you're planning on having a really salty meal, plan ahead. Try to have at least another cup or two of water before, during, and after your meal. And just make sure that you're piling on those veg within the context of that meal and throughout the day of eating um, anytime that you know you're going to have a, a high sodium meal. I think that's really important because it's often missed out on. You're going to get some of that water volume in those veggies too, but you'll also, again, get those mineral counterbalances that can be super helpful for, for helping you kind of stay stable. But ultimately, the, the really fascinating thing and where I'm really excited for this area of research on MSG to continue and to move forward is that it actually seems that MSG, when added to our food supply as a replacement for sodium, can have the same, can restore that taste, that, that um, flavor that we love, that umami flavor, and reduce the amount of total sodium that's used in the American food supply. So I think that's really something to consider, something really promising right there. Again, if any single food bothers you personally, don't eat it. You know, there's always alternatives. There's always a workaround. But I do want to make sure that we all know MSG, absolutely safe. Let's just start talking about it more often because I think it's critical that we all get on board with the fact that MSG is not only only safe, but potentially beneficial for all of us to be consuming more of. So food for thought right there. Do you need to avoid MSG? Absolutely not. Please don't. 
Okay, let us, <laughs> let's get into the episode. Again, if you have any questions, if you are curious about something, please DM me at Jacqueline London RD on Instagram or Twitter. That's at Jacqueline London RD. I'm here for all of your questions and I can't wait to hear from you. All right, without further ado, let's get into our Nikki May episode. Here she is. Nikki May. I'm nervous right now. I'm so glad that you're here on the On The Side podcast, and thank you for agreeing to do this at the end of your day, right? What time is it What time is it for you right now? It's half past four in the afternoon, but I'm so happy to do this because talking about food, I can do day or night. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So before we get deep into the food part of things. Let's talk a little bit about, I feel like there has to be so much to the characters that were in Wahala that it's almost difficult to say, um, you know, that you, that you had everything that you could have possibly wanted in the book. Is there anything that got left on the cutting room floor when you were editing? Anything that your editor was like, I love this, but I don't know, do we need it? Did you have that experience at all? And if so, what was it? What's not in Wahala that we missed? So I had to kill quite a few darlings, but the one I still miss <laughs> up till today was this chapter in Lapland. So Isabel had paid for them to go on a private jet to Lapland to take Sophia to see the real Father Christmas. So I loved it because first we had a private jet. So I had to do lots of research about what it would be like to guess on a private jet. And the fun thing is it almost feels like you're doing these things so Simi's wardrobe, buying that on Net-A-Porter, it felt like I was really buying clothes, even though I never checked out of this basket. So my private jet experience and the food, I had to research all the food they were going to eat in Lapland, the most amazing hot chocolate with marshmallows on top. I had to find out about Finnish pastries stuffed with cheese and sausage mm -hmm. and about the special way they cook potatoes. So I had to lose this whole scene. And it wasn't just that, we got to to see the northern lights so it was wonderful but as my editor said this is all great fun but it's not, not moving the story forward all you're doing is doing more food more eating more drinking so that ended up on the floor <laughs> oh Lapland that's fantastic I also when you said that about the hot chocolate what it's the polar do you remember the books the polar express books yeah um, and I always would read that and think about melted hot chocolate. Like, didn't that sound like the greatest thing ever? That's what I imagine when you say Lapland. I'm like, oh my God, that hot chocolate with the marshmallows. Hot chocolate oh. tastes better in your head than it does in real life. I'm yet to have the perfect hot chocolate, but I can imagine it perfectly. But whenever right. I actually have one, it's either too icky or too creamy or too milky or, or too, too watery. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you. Totally agree with but you. My fictional hot chocolate was perfect. I can only imagine. That sounds like a dream to me. Okay. So now this, I mean, this is really critical to the story because I, I teed this up in our, in the intro for, to the episode, but basically I felt like, I felt like as I was reading the book, which I just loved, and I can't say enough how much I loved it, I just felt like the portrayal of women in this book is like, these are real humans that are just as complicated as we are in real life, and it's so, so hard to do. So before we get into some of the more specifics, what 
what tell us about my the best thing that I read in in prepping for today was that you came to the story and and that this started kind of gelling for you when um when you were right after on your way home from lunch with friends. Tell us about the lunch. What did we eat? Where was it? I mean, let's just start from the beginning. What happened at lunch? Okay, so me and my friends, I have a group of Anglo-Nigerian friends, although some of them are honorary Anglo-Nigerians, as in they're just English, but they are part of my Anglo-Nigerian family. So we meet every couple of months at a restaurant in London called Mama Calabar. And it's it's not a very fancy restaurant. The service is appalling. You order and the food comes about two hours later and you get fed at different times. So you all order together, but they deliver the food whenever they feel like. They're surly. The red wine is served cold. The white wine is served hot. Sometimes we have to send them down to the corner shop to get some more wine because we drink them out of house at home. But we keep going back because it feels like home and we can be as loud as we like. Because okay. for some reason, when I'm with my Anglo Nigerians, our voices get louder. Right, it's like that raises, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we can be as loud as we like and we can sit there all afternoon. So we start at lunch and we're still there at six o'clock in the evening, still ordering food. Oh. When it comes to food, we're all in the same boat. We all want everything. Yes. Although most of us can cook, we, we don't often cook Nigerian food. And if we do, we make rice and stew. We don't pound yam. We don't make moi moi unless there's a party because this is laborious. First, you have to find the ingredients. You have to go half the way across London to find them. <laughs> and then you've got to cook for hours. So we're there. We all want everything. So we tend to share so we okay. start with starters. We always have fried clansane, which is dodo. Oh. We always have. Always. I reread. I reread, and I have to. I have to just stop you there with dodo because I. I um, I re-listened to the audiobook also, and and <laughs> oh, the yeah. dodo. There, there is a description of. I think it's. Is it Boo and Ronky in? They're getting their hair done, and they're yeah. eating yeah. the dodo, and yeah. as they're chatting, and I was like, oh my god, where do I? Where am I? Where am I going to get this now? Like, I need this immediately. It just made me so hungry. Just <laughs> I don't know tell us about who, it. I yes. don't know anybody who doesn't love dodo. So oh. dodo is made from plantain, which is like a big banana. Although apparently it's not the same family as banana. But let's forget right. the science it makes bit. No sense. It looks yeah, we'll like forget that for a, a big banana. And in Nigeria, you eat it when it's ripe. So it's sort of gone brown and green. And you peel the skin, you slice it, usually on the diagonal, and you fry it. And it's just yummy. It's sort of sweet, but savory, a little bit crusty. And it's really Moorish. And we, nothing's easy. So there's complications (laughs) even with dodo. So you have party dodo where it's chopped differently. It's chopped into little, little squares. Or you have family dodo where it's sliced on the diagonal. And it's just one of those, everybody, kids love it. Grown-ups love it. Every my, my mother-in-law, I introduced her to Dodo for the first time this Christmas. She's lived in Battersea all her life. She's not the most adventurous woman. And now she phones <laughs> and says, can you tell me how to make Dodo? <laughs> so you got to have Dodo. If we ever meet, I'm cooking Dodo for oh you. Oh my God, I would love that so much. I mean, that's literally worth me. I mean, it's like the, the thing that goes into my calendar now. next is like, look at flights to London. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. So, anyway, so you started with Dodo as a part of that, and yeah. yes, then I, we have Moi Moi. Then so the starters: Dodo, Moi Moi, Suya, and if a, a friend of mine calls Simi, who Simi mm-hmm. was named after, she's there. Oh. She's got to have peppered snails. None of the rest oh. of us have peppered snails, but she insists. And we sometimes have something called pepper soup, okay. which is it's like a broth, but it's really spicy, sort of like mm. Tom Yum in that Ooh. sort of nasal clearing. I love spiciness but it's definitely flavored really yummy so we have a range of starters and they arrive and then we eat so much that we're full so we then have a pause for about two hours which is just as well because it takes them at least two hours to get the main courses out of the kitchen and the main courses we have this huge debate should I have jollof rice should I have pounded yam if I have pounded yam what kind of stew should I have with it (laughs) and you get that food envy where you're like staring oh I wish I'd had F or Rero like her I wish I'd had Eddie Keiko so there tends to be a lot of passing of plates around obviously before COVID this was completely normal Uh, right it was like you could just share you were just sharing everything okay wait before you tell us more about this give us a little give us a little rundown for I mean for a novice such as me what the dishes that you just so moi moi first of all I got to go back to moi moi (laughs) oh (laughs) I feel like we skipped that and that I've got to know about because that's laborious you said also is that does that also yes. take time? Okay, it does. It takes time and it takes love. There are shortcuts. You can buy a bean powder, but you okay. wouldn't do that. It's right. just you just wouldn't do that. So you have to start with the beans. And step one is getting all the skins off the beans, which is boring. It takes forever. Every single fleck of brown skin has to come off. So you turn it into a sort of mindfulness lesson. And Ronke does this in the book. I was taught to make moi moi by my stepmother. And it honestly felt like ritual. It's not just cooking. It's the whole sort of meaning and ritual. And you can only tell when it's been blended properly by touching it between your fingers. And it has to feel really silky and really smooth and have no grain. And getting the right mix is really important because it's like a sort of it doesn't it sounds it tastes nicer than it sounds it's basically like a bean cake okay so you don't know what the cooked texture is going to be like until you've cooked it so you have to be an expert of knowing exactly how thin or thick it needs to be so when you cook it's like a pancake batter and you have to get exactly the right consistency because otherwise you end up with really dense heavy moi moi or you end up with watery unset moi moi and then you have to get the taste (laughs) right you've got to have the right amount of salt right amount of chili you put a blended red pepper in to make it go a little bit pink it's just if you get it right it is beautiful it's light it's fluffy it's savory it's gorgeous that sounds amazing. Wait, that sounds amazing. So it's bean so it's beans but skinless beans that are mashed yeah. and into flour essentially or yeah well they're ground with water so you grind them with a bit of water or stock until it's sort of like a batter okay oh my god and then you season and then you season this batter until it's got the perfect seasoning and then you cook it in Nigeria you cook it in leaves okay which and it looks beautiful because they do something Mm. with the leaves they do this crazy handwork and then you end up with this pyramid shaped leaf I forget it I've tried (laughs) just forget it so I do it in (laughs) moulds like dowry or moulds or in little, um, you know, um, metal little containers. Okay. And then you steam it over water for about 45 minutes and then you let it cool down so it's room temperature. Yum. 
Oh my God, that sounds so good. I'm hungry already. We're just, we're, we're two minutes in here and I'm starving. Okay. So you, so now we've got Moe, we've got Dodo. What else, what else did you mention that I'm We've missing? got Suya, which is yes. basically, it's like a sort of kebab, I suppose. Okay. So it's skewers of meat or chicken. And some people do it with mushroom now, where it's sort of coated in this powder, which is made out of ginger and chili. And it's, oh. it's a really yummy, spicy thing. And then you grill them and they're really lovely. They usually come on sticks Yum. yes I mean the true kebab so it's really so this is that's the spice essentially and then the and then you can use whatever protein and veggies exactly oh my god exactly. amazing okay okay am I missing anything else what else did you mention oh the so stew the pepper soup. and the pepper yes. soup yeah soup, yeah so those are the starters we're okay. just getting started yeah. so here. we just so got, got we us. just covered starters okay we have a lot to do <laughs> we so we've eaten there we've talked loads okay. we've chatted mm-hmm. oh we're drinking so oh, we're, yes. we're, What's we're, we're drink? drinking Martius Rosé, which everybody thinks is this terrible drink from the 70s. And it probably is, but it's what our parents (laughs) drank when we were back home. And it's what we snuck little sips of when we were back home. So it has to be Martius Rosé. And it comes in this bottle that's sort of overly... Okay. And at home, we'd have candles put in them afterwards <laughs> because the other thing about oh. growing up in Nigeria is you get power cuts like all the time. So everybody has right. candles everywhere. And you could tell if you came from a posh little house like mine because all the candles were in Martius Rose bottles <laughs> with wax dripping down the <laughs> So Martius Rosé Essential oh, and so we have much. to have Fanta because although soft drinks yes. are terrible and soft drinks are bad, Nigerian Fanta is amazing. It's completely different from English Fanta or American Fanta. It's really orangey. Ooh. So the colour is lurid. It's like this crazy orange colour and it's sweeter, oh. but in a nice orangey way. So got to have a bottle of that. Okay, my mind is blown. Now my <laughs> mind is officially blown. What? I've never heard about Nigerian Fanta, but now I'm on a new mission. I mean, now I have a new, this is lit a new fire under me. (laughs) It it is is lovely. I'm really not a Fanta drinker. I very rarely have carbonated drinks, but Nigerian Fanta is worth throwing all of those rules out the window. Just out the window, just to try. Oh my God. Yeah. Try that. Okay. So you have the mains and then, and everyone's kind of picking off of one another's plate, which I think is honestly the only way. This is really the only way to dine out at a restaurant and love it. Right. Yeah, you got to be able to share. Definitely. Okay. Sharing is caring. Exactly. But is there a dessert involved in this lunch? So dessert, and my husband laughs because he says almost every other Nigerian word is a double. So you have dodo, you have moi moi, and then for pudding, you have puff puff. <laughs> oh, perfect. Puff puff. puff puff. is It's like a donut. I mean, it is a donut. So it's like okay. beignet or a donut. But again, it's just slightly different from an English donut yeah. or a French donut. It's kind of, it's, got a the skin is sort of oh it's so hard to describe it's bouncier is yeah. the only way I can describe oh, it bouncier. there's no jam involved in this I and it's not that. coated in sugar but it's yeastier and bouncier and it is delicious I mean it's wow. super oily you sort of you wouldn't want to make this at home and but it is just <laughs> yummy so after that we have to have at least one puff puff each so at the lunch, you had, I'm, I can only imagine because I'm having the best time just vicariously here. So <laughs> I feel like I was at, I was at this lunch, I think, but I, I'm having the best time through this lunch. So you have the best time you get on the train, right? You took yeah. the train. Okay. Yeah. And then you're sitting and you're just, you're like, well, this you have is to the take best. the train because you've had all this Matthias Rosé. So right. you're on the train. <laughs> you're not driving. Absolutely not. 
a long train. I mean, it's three hours because I oh live in the middle of nowhere. So three hours <laughs> home and you get on the train and one in the restaurant, you were talking about generator parts for your dad because yeah. they keep taking electricity in his village. And oh. you're talking about your auntie or your cousin or your friend who got burgled or who got carjacked. And you're talking about somebody else. And, you know, you're just talking about things that don't really make sense yeah. to anyone who hasn't been to Nigeria. And then you get yeah. in the car and you end the train and you kind of code switch back to, yes, here's my ticket. And you become quieter right. and more subdued. Right. And I just started sketching out these characters and sketching out the yeah. scene which was very similar to what had actually happened apart yes. from there was no Isabel at my lunch right. and, and I got these three characters in my head and I thought about the food and it just the first scene literally just poured out of me and amazingly it is really similar to the actual final first scene even after 40, 14 wow. edits wow what 14 edits I, I know it is it's brutal it's brutal, it is brutal isn't it? it's horrendous <laughs> Oh, God. And you're like, I just don't know if I can do it again. And then you have, you've got to have that moment, I would imagine. And obviously, I, I am not a fiction writer. (laughs) So that that is yet, uh, yet, yet, yeah, exactly. Yet. But I can only imagine that you have this like, continual love hate with the characters, right? Because you're you're with them all the time. So it becomes yeah. like, it's yeah. sort of like how looking at my husband during lockdown, I think he would agree with that. I feel <laughs> kind about saying that. It's like, I love you so much. I kind of want to kill you. But then, but then, I mean, I'm, you know, and we're not giving anything away here because everyone should be reading Wahala. But how did you feel? Were you like, I'm sick of, was there, was, were any of the characters more or less challenging to sit with for the 14 rounds in some ways Simi was the most challenging and I think mainly because it almost felt like psychoanalysis self-analysis at times because I have that imposter syndrome although to be fair I think almost every woman I know has this imposter syndrome oh I I have it all the time and I felt it so deeply reading it but in the best way because because she's so fantastic and also it's so understandable too okay keep going I have this veneer (laughs) I have this I'm super confident I'm really fine veneer and it fools most people most of the time I even remember my family they don't realize sometimes I'm just dying inside so Simi was kind of hard to write because obviously I wanted to be quite honest and unpick those layers so sometimes it felt like I was unpicking mine and how sometimes I use stuff to disguise what I'm really feeling and I think if you put on your best dress and you go out and you're you know you're gonna sort of give this impression of everything being great and it it does work so Simi was possibly the hardest to write and I think Simi and Boo people feel less sympathetic to which I actually think is quite sad because everybody loves Ronken everybody wants to be Ronken don't get me wrong Ronken is wonderful but I find flawed characters much more interesting oh my god yes 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 completely I I found myself rereading um, the part of the book where, and I I can't remember what exactly is the setup, but it's Martin is home and Simi's like putting on these Tom Ford boots and you describe it as like, she's like feeling fabulous. She's like, these look sexy as hell. I love these boots. I feel amazing. We're going out. One thing happens. It's like one dialogue, a back and forth between them and it it gets her in her own head. And then all of a sudden she's like, why am I wearing, what are these stupid boots? (laughs) Exactly. And And I I could not relate better. It's so 
real. It's yeah. so real. And the bits when Boo's feeling really frustrated about motherhood right. and when, and people are like, oh, I have had some feedback of, oh, she's a terrible mother. It's like, no, she's not. She's oh. just a human being. She's just a right. woman. She's just multifaceted. She's just flawed. She's just normal. At least that's what right. my friends are like. No, absolutely. I mean, completely. And it's exactly what it is exactly what my friends are like. And I also feel like the more we're able to talk about that stuff, the more we're able to connect over it rather than like keep it in this silent little pigeonhole. I also think there are times when we can say things about people we love and it doesn't mean we don't love them. I've I've always worked with my husband. So even before lockdown, we've worked together for 17 years in the same house and we have to have rooms on different floors because otherwise I would kill him. And I don't even mean that. I mean this literally. (laughs) I would actually kill him. But I adore him. I love him. But we can have stand-up rows and I can phone my friends and say, Peter's really getting on my and I don't mean it it doesn't mean I'm not I don't love him but you know you can do that it's just part of the ups right. and downs and the ebb and flow of life exactly thank you I mean I can't I cannot even say thank you enough for this book but okay before we before we get into more of that let us discuss there are so many delicious scenes in in Wahala did you have like as you were coming up with this I mean it sounds like from from our conversation so far it sounds like this was this is such a big part of your life so that it it naturally fell into the book but was it a part of the character development process or was it something that you were like okay here they're gonna have puff puff but not but in this scene this is gonna be more of a Sunday roast situation or or whatever it is so were you were you very deliberate about the food choices in each scene or did it just kind of come organically? I think it's a mix of both. As I started to go through it, I realized that food can almost be like a character trait and the way that people react to food, think about food, eat, cook, is actually, can actually tell you stuff about their personality. So oh, you've got 100%. Semi who, who uses food almost as a way of controlling things. I'm not going to have any carbs except in one. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, and I want the most expensive things. I want sushi because it's posh, and I want the not just sushi, but I want this particular kind of tuna, or I want the lube. I can't say it properly, but that coffee that comes from Sivit's poo. You know, I want the poshest and the most expensive. And I see me in some ways, it's a status thing and a control thing. Then you've got Boo on the other hand, where food is a chore. It's just another thing she has to do. Another thing that Sophia, that Didier does better than her, and that Sophia. Fear complains about. So for her, food is a chore and a, another thing on her tick list. Whereas for Ronke, food is love, food is caring, food is life, food is everything, food is history, it's culture, it's tying her back to Nigeria and her aunt and her, you know, food to her is absolute love. And it became quite interesting to look at how the three different people, how their attitudes to food almost helped keep them apart as different characters. But also they was just wanting to get as much food in it as possible. I appreciate so much, but you're so right. I mean, I really in, because the thing that struck me so much is that I just feel like fiction for me is the ultimate, it's the ultimate self-care, like getting lost in a book. There's just nothing better than that. And, um, and so, so, and, but it's hard, but it's so hard to find great 
great book, like books that you just want to come back to over and over again. And I feel like that about Wahala, but I also feel like that about the audio version. And it's almost like getting a different experience. Like there's just so much to love about it, but I really felt like it was so different and so unique to find characters that were that complex. And I really felt like food had something to do with it. And I feel so great about the fact that A, that was correct. Like that was your intention. And also it didn't, like, it's just kind of gentling for me now that that probably is part of why I loved it so much is because the character, like the complexity of a character can be told through so many things. And when you describe Simi, Simi's um, clothing choices and her food choices, and it, you just really understand so much more about who she is just from the tiny little descriptions and the same of, of each of the of Boo and Ronke. I also loved that food as a scene like the the meal scenes or scenes yeah. that took place over food were so um were just so real i mean they were just exactly like what it's like to go out to eat with my friends with my family or eating at home there's this one scene where i, I think it's toward the end of the book where didier makes um he's like let's have an o-. <laughs> he's like the omelet. We'll just keep it simple the omelet and i've never wanted an omelet more in my life tell us about the omelet <laughs> Oh, the there's this film, and I'm not going to remember the name now. I think it's called The Big Night, and it's got okay. Stanley Tucci in it. Oh, and of there's it does. this scene the in the film where he makes an omelette, and I have never seen oh. anything as sexy as Stanley Tucci <laughs> making an omelette. I've probably watched this film a hundred times, but it's the simplicity of it and the folding of the egg. Right. So I stole Stanley Tucci's omelette and I gave it to Didier. But it's true how sometimes the simplest things can just be the most delicious and the most comforting. Oh my God. It's so true. It also was the timing. It was like she had had a shitty day. It was all over the place. She was overwhelmed. And then this omelet comes in and you're like, yes. (laughs) And obviously we're teasing the reader a little (laughs) bit because we're thinking, is there something going on with Didier and Ronquet? And I just felt that omelet just sort of did that. Oh. God, I've, now I've got to see this movie. Now I got to find <laughs> you have to. It's brilliant. It's like me googling Stanley Tucci omelet movie. The big right? night. Got <laughs> the to big watch night. It. Okay. Okay. Done. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. I loved it. All right. So let's go to one scene in particular that I wanted to ask you about, which is the the gala scene. So this. So in this scene, uh, again, as if I was there, I felt like a fly on the. I felt like I was attending. I didn't have an outfit, but I was attending. <laughs> But there were, it was set up exactly how it's basically like every conference slash gala you've ever attended in your life was this event with the stations, with the food stations. Will you give us, give us a little bit of like a teaser of what was served, what was served there? And then what was at the Nigerian food station in the, at the gala Scene. I had so much fun writing it. We call it's it an Owambe, which is a big party in Nigeria. Okay. And it, it's a way of showing off. Nigerians love showing off. It's <laughs> in our DNA. So this is a big show off party. We also have a huge wealth gap, worse than anywhere in the West. So, and the richer you are, the more you show off. And I remember reading about 
one of these elite Nigerians who for her 21st birthday wanted to hire Versailles to have her birthday party and her dad tried to make it happen. So it was kind of doing that. So we went to Sky Garden, which is apparently this amazing place. I've never actually been there. And now I can't go there because it lives in my head. And whatever, even it, it's, I just dare, I dare see what it's really like and I had so much fun with the food so I would, first it started off with just being Nigerian food but then I realized that these teenagers because teenagers are really stupid they're going to want Nando's they're going to want burgers they're going to want sweet they're going to want everything except Nigerian food so I had to give them what they wanted so you had a Nando's do you have Nando's in America it's no like but I feel like I've heard I Maybe we it, do have it's it. It's like a I've Portuguese style chicken shop. So it's basically chicken no. and chips and chicken and rice, but it's kind That's of amazing. a bit upmarket. So we had yeah. a Nando's, we've got a burger joint, we've got sweets because I had to make Sophia happy. Yeah. So there's this yes. sort of sweet, <laughs> sweet place with candy floss and all those sorts of things. And it's like a series of pop-up restaurants, little pop-up shacks, little all decked out perfectly. So in your sushi one, you've got little people dressed in geisha outfits handing of out. Of course, of course you do. Right. Yeah. Sushi. At one point I was going to have a naked person with sushi on them, but I decided that was a little bit too sex in the city. So we didn't God do that. Got left on the cutting room floor. There it <laughs> yeah, was. That was another darling that got killed. <laughs> and you had the birthday cake, which was as big as Ronke. You know, you've got this five foot oh. birthday cake with multiple layers and gold icing and a figure of the birthday girl at the top. And then of course, of course you had to have the Nigerian food store and it was a way of showing Ronke's dislike of this ostentatious, terrible, wealthy, obscenely wealthy Nigerians, that the Nigerian food stall is deserted and this wonderful, delicious Nigerian food is being ignored because they all want burgers or sushi or Nando's. So it was such fun to write. Oh my God. Was it, was it Ronke who goes back for, for more servings of the Nigerian food? Cause she's like, we gotta do, we gotta she support is. it here. She's, she's like, <laughs> we gotta have another peppered snail and, and stuff right. that we, you know, she's got to go back. The, the strangest thing of all is when they're making Wahala into a TV series. Oh my God. And oh my God. I was thinking ride, that my, it should be a TV series. My rider is I have to be at the scene where they shoot this oh I'm bear this big party. I have to be there. 100%. I have to be an extra and I have to taste the food. Listen, if you need help, <laughs> I'm volunteering myself. I mean, this will be a crash course for me, a culinary crash course. Yes, I'm on. I'm just going to casually volunteer myself. I can easily I'm, just a hop, skip, and a trip to JFK, and I'll be there in a second. I've got your number, Jackie. You're on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so exciting. So, I mean, as you were writing Wahala, were you like, this could be this could be a TV series. Like I could see this a little. Well, to be honest, when I was writing Wahala, I didn't even think it was going to be a book, you know, because right. it's, it's <laughs> know. hard to finish a book. A book is big. It sort of, it goes on forever. So I'm not right. sure I ever thought it would ever be a book. I didn't think I'd actually get an agent. I didn't think it'd be published, but I do confess that I saw a lot of the scenes visually and I could almost see them happening. And it was in some cases, it felt like I was writing what I could see. And, and I think sometimes if you can, I think sometimes that makes your scenes more authentic, more realistic, if you can almost visualize them. I've also worked in advertising all my life. So I'm used to sort of having to think of things in a very visual way. And my husband is my first editor. 
and he's an art director so he definitely sees things very visually and I did at the back of my head my dream was to write a brown big little lies yes I love that I love that so I guess yes in my I mean it's pinch me stuff that it's happened but yes dream come true is to get the get to know it's going to be on tv you know, after I after I read that that you had that you had said that to Red Brown Big Little Lies, it just it, of course my head of, goes immediately to food. So I th- I thought to myself, I gotta go back and say, what are they eating in that show? <laughs> There's not enough food in it. That's what's wrong with There's that show. There's not enough food in it. But what I love, what I love that you did so masterfully, and definitely with Boo and Didier and their relationship, I felt this so much. And 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 this one scene that I have with Ronke and Coyote, where where she's making, where he asks her to, oh. yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, and I'm not even going to share that, guys. I'm not even going to share that with our listeners because you have to read this book, so I'm not going to give this away. I know exactly what but you mean. But you know what I'm talking about, and it was, I just felt like that realness of having a conversation around the kitchen is definitely something that happens in Big Little Lies, and yes. I lo- and those were my favorite scenes, right? Like, because you really get the every, like, the chaos and exactly what's happening, and um, and there's in and out, and there's so much going on. It's like Plus, the kitchen I think is her name was Madeline. She has such a nice kitchen right. in that series. Her kitchen was to die for. I, Huge, beautiful kitchen overlooking the beach. I'm in. I'm in. I'm so with you. I, I kept thinking that. And the fact, and I have that image of them going outside. They're holding like the enormous oh, red wine glass. And I'm like, take me. Can this we is do- my life. Give it to me. <laughs> I'm totally with you. And that I think I like everything. the idea of writing aspiration. I think yes. too much, and especially too much black literature, it's depressing. Yeah. It's based on struggle and trauma. Yes. And I want to see everybody, not just black people or brown people. But I, I think sometimes it's nice to have a bit of aspiration, a bit of Completely. glossy, a bit of huge goblet red wine glasses full of red wine. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, that was the other thing that I wanted to ask you about. And it actually is a perfect transition for my next question about your your foray at medical school. But did you – so I love that Ronke and Boo are both women in STEM. They're black women in STEM. So that came in because of your your toe dip in medical school? Or tell us about how – tell us about these – this element of two of the characters who were women in areas of science, technology, engineering, math. So the science thing and the education thing. So in Nigeria, in the whole of West Africa, I think, education is hugely important. It's seen as a way of getting ahead, a way of succeeding. One degree is not enough. You need two. You need a master's and then a PhD. So I was I was told, I knew I was going to a medical school before I could walk. It was just, Nikki's going to be a doctor like her dad. So when I just did, it was fine. That's what you do. You pick sciences and sciences at A-level because art is just art is for fun it's not a real thing and so but it, and I went to medical school and it was in the third year I realized I hated it I would make a terrible doctor I had no empathy I just hated it so <laughs> so I dropped out and in order to drop out I had to pretty much run away from home it was kind of if you do this you're on your own I was like fine I'll be on my own so Ran away to London, joined an advertising agency and worked in advertising all my life. So I kind of wanted to give that to my girls because it's kind of it's a thing that's almost bred into you. You will go to school. You will do well. You will get a good degree. You can be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a dentist. But those are sort of approved of 
um, professions, if you like. Wow. I mean, I love, first of all, I love that so much. I don't buy that you had no empathy. And also I would, I would argue that perhaps more physicians could use a little empathy. I mean, maybe you would have thrived as a physician. (laughs) I don't think so. I think I'd have been a terrible doctor. My bedside manner needs, has a lot to be desired. But here's, here's the thing. Perhaps, what about surgeon? You know what I mean? Because surgeons and chefs, I feel like there's some overlap there. Right? I mean, I feel like that has a lot of good overlap. Okay, so now, so when you were when you were deciding to become the med school dropout, what what were you like? You know what? Advertising has some artistic express. There's some creativity there. Or were you just like, I'm just going to go to the first place that is willing to hire me now, and we'll just take it from there. <laughs> It was definitely the latter. I was okay. temping. I was temping wherever they'd have me. I did six weeks six weeks as an estate agent, hated it. Did six weeks scanning microfiche, hated it. And then got a six-week job at an ad agency. Didn't know anything about ad agencies. It was just I needed to earn some money because by the money tap for my dad had been turned full off. Full off. So and it was just a it was just no. a, it was just luck. Fell into it, loved wow. it. They loved me. They offered me a full-time job and that was it. It was just it was oh pure luck. God. Sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time and work really hard. Oh, I love that so much. So what were some of the things that you were doing creatively? So you, and you were running your own agency before you decided to start making a full-time thing of this whole writing thing. Yeah. So I did all (laughs) sorts. I worked on um, telecoms brands, writing really boring technical copy. I did lots of mindfulness. I worked with Weight Watchers for years where we did lots of stuff on mindfulness, on food, on cookery, on diet, on all that sort of stuff. I wrote the Weight Watchers program here for three years and worked on, I was in the States for a year, working with Weight Watchers on their program over there. Um, We did stuff with EMI on piracy. I launched a board game, all sorts of stuff. It was, it was fun. It was really good fun. But the thing is, I think advertising is, I, I think I started to get jaded with it. You start to, you start to say, I've done this, I've done that. The clients get younger and younger. You start to get more and more jaded and being jaded is never a good, a good thing in any profession, certainly not in advertising. So the book came along at just the right time. Oh my God. So were you writing as you were as you were working full time, were you just doing this at yeah, this is a nighttime yeah, no, thing? We were so we were winding down the agency. We were doing maybe three days a week. We moved out of London in order to get a bit more wow. life life and yeah. let the dogs have a bit more space. And so we started we were kind of doing three or four days a week and writing. And we decided to wind up the agency and then we got the book deal. So it's again serendipity. Oh my God. That's fantastic. When you were writing, did you have any like go to, okay, I'm writing, so I've got to have this mulled wine beverage next to me? Or was it, was there anything that you needed? Was there a snack that you were like, this is my go to, or a treat that you, that after you finished, you were like, I'm, I'm going out for X food? 
I had all of those. I can't start the day without an iced coffee and I need three or four to get. I can't drink hot drinks. I think it's because I was brought up in Nigeria. I do have a hot drink, just doesn't (laughs) feel good. So I have to have three or four iced coffees to get me going. And I, the long, if if I manage to do a whole stretch, then I have to know that there's a reward of a glass of carver at the end of the day. And it was whilst I was writing this that I came across one of my favorite snacks, which is called prawn on the lawn. Oh, and oh my it, God, I need prawn on the lawn immediately. It did. It did. It, it's from a restaurant in Cornwall. Cornwall's lovely. You have to go there. That's on your list too. And it's a slice of sourdough or soda bread toasted and then a drizzle of olive oil and then smashed avocado oh my in God. the lawn. I was hoping then, it was. I was hoping for that. And then okay. you put a few prawns on the lawn, a little bit of chili oh and a squeeze God. of lime juice. It is so yummy. That sounds like heaven and also like something I might be making later today. (laughs) And it's super easy. And it just sounds good. Prawn on the lawn sounds better than avocado on toast. Yes. (laughs) Especially if you're going to say avocado on toast with with maybe a shrimp or a shrimp cocktail. You know, I'd rather say prawn on the lawn. Oh, my God. That's phenomenal. Okay. We've got to get to your history. So you were born – so you were born in Bristol – but you grew up in Lagos. Tell us, tell us, how did that happen? What's going on? Where, what got, what got you to Lagos? And then when you left, that was, was that because of your, your escape to your escape from medical school? Okay. Tell us. So my, my dad <laughs> is Nigerian and okay. he came to England to study medicine. So part of that of self-improving, do better. He was the first person in his family to go to university. Wow. So it was like a big deal. He came right. to England to study medicine. He's in Bristol studying medicine when he meets my mom, who's white and English. She's in art right. college. Fall in love, get married, hurt my grandparents horrified absolutely (laughs) horrified I never had a relationship with them that's how horrified they were they pretty much disowned her didn't want to know because she married that black man but when I was two we moved back to yeah a bit like Ronquez when I was two we moved to Nigeria and my dad was a doctor and he became a anaesthetist and my mum became a teacher in a private school and so I grew up there with my younger brother and my older sister and my parents got divorced when I was about 16 I think and she came back to England so you know, it was all fine we saw you know still in touch and I was school in Nigeria until I realized I had this empathy problem so I had to drop out of medical school and my dad was horrified he was so he was upset and I think there's a bit of shame as well because dropping out of school in Nigeria is a shameful thing I definitely you know I was ashamed and so it was kind of go back or go so I went ran away to England and my mom was in Yorkshire and I didn't want to be in Yorkshire. So I came to London and joined the ad agency. Of course, my dad has now completely forgiven me. It did take a few years, but now he's oh, completely cool. And he thinks writing a book was his idea. Of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. I mean, there's some things that, that you know, that men who, that's that a stubborn man, they all have to have in common around the world. And that is... Writing a book was my idea. <laughs> yeah, totally. I knew it was the right thing to do. But no, it's sweet. He is so super proud of me now. I mean, he's just over the moon. He phoned me the other day saying, you were on television in Nigeria. It's like, I was a dad. <laughs> so he's super, he's like thrilled to ribbons. I love that. That makes me so 
happy. So if you're going to go visit him tomorrow, what would be the first thing that you would have to eat? Like you get off the plane, you land in Lagos and you're like, I've got to go here for this meal. Was that, I feel like Ronke gives us a little taste of that. I might be just. The first thing, and I always do this with my dad, is we go to, she's called Mama Ofada and it's a shack. I mean, she cooks on firewood and it's it's literally a shack. It's a shack in Shigamu. It's in the village. And she cooks this amazing stew. It's called orfada stew with orfada rice. And it's made out of, I can't cook it. I've tried. I can't do it properly. I don't have firewood. So it's, <laughs> it's made out of lots. It's really spicy. It's made out of uh, green habanero peppers or scotch bonnets. And it's a, it's a sort of dark green color. And meat is really expensive in Nigeria. So you pay, you pay extra for every bit of meat. So you ask for like five pieces of meat and they look at you like, are you a millionaire? And you're like, right. <laughs> so you get that, and then you I've get been it waiting. With, you get it with ofada rice, which they wrap in leaves. And some people sit on their haunches outside, but my dad doesn't do that kind of thing. So we drive back to his house and we sit outside under the under the canopy, which shields us from the sun, and we eat the rice. And my dad says the same thing every single time. He says, watch out for stones, because this is bush rice, so it's not necessarily as clean as it should be, and it can have little stones. And he said, this food is cheap, but good dentistry isn't. So we <laughs> sit there picking the stones out, and it's delicious. And it's the only time my dad eats outside, you know, eats from the market because normally it's like he wouldn't do that kind of thing but he does it just because of me oh I love that so much and I love that tradition I mean like that whole component of it is just the best it's just the best thing it's like that is the ultimate food memory right there all in one and I've moment I've missed it so much because of COVID yeah. I haven't been home for two years and my dad's 87 right. so I keep thinking oh. please please but I'm going home in June tickets for oh 23rd God. of June go see my dad eat off fada rice Oh, I'm so excited for you. That's fantastic. I'll send you pictures. Please do. Please send me pictures. Wait, so, and just tell me, so the, the difference between alfada, uh, alfada, am I saying that right? Yeah. Alfada. Okay, alfada rice and jollof. You've got to give us some, you've got to give us some, so the, the tell on jollof. There's the, a lot of differences, I feel like. Oh, but, jollof is a whole, but there's walls okay. about jollof. There's right, the I mean, jollof we've got Ghanaian. Yeah, okay, right, okay. yeah. <laughs> But alfada rice is, it's its just basically not processed. So rice goes okay. through a lot of processes to become yeah. commercial rice. Alfada rice is, right. it's very, it's not really processed. So think of it as a whole grain, um, okay. fatter, rounder, um, what are rice things called? Whatever they are, grains. Right. <laughs> right. Fatter, right. rounder, grains. And because it's not as processed and not as washed, it's not necessarily as clean. So you can have stones or bits of husk, which is why my dad panics about breaking teeth. Totally get it. I mean, he's totally right, by the way. <laughs> it's, like, it's so tasty. Like, it's couldn't agree more. I never thought of that. God. My sister was just like, we were, we just had our, also, we had a little family gathering yesterday. And one of my sisters lives in, in Chicago, which is arguably much easier than getting from New, from New York, from London to Lagos. I guess London, right? Because you said, yeah. are you in Dorset? Did I read yeah, that? Yeah, but we fly okay. from London. Yeah. Okay, but you fly from London. So I, so it's definitely easier, but still, we had not all of us been together in two years. And it was the best thing, but we were just talking about cracking, about the experience of cracking teeth randomly. <laughs> and we were talking about how, how this is an astronomically expensive thing. So I could Huge. not agree with your dad more. You have, you like, 
could not vouch for the idea that we got to pick out the stones before we start eating, but I love that he eats outside and that yeah. you do this together. Yeah. What what else is on the menu when when you're there? So there's some really lovely restaurants in Lagos now that weren't there when I was growing up there, you know, really fusion-y, designery restaurants where they're doing wonderful things with food and making things like mushroom suya and, wow. you know, really sort of that sort of Michelin-starred, sexed-up Nigerian yeah. food. So got to do one of those. But mainly I just like eating authentic Nigerian food and I love my stepmother's cooking. She's a brilliant oh. cook. So she's the one who taught me how to cook moi moi. So we definitely always have a cookery lesson or two and then she tries to stuff my bags when I'm coming back with all sorts of contraband you're like stop you're not allowed to take them back stop it stop it and I'm pulling things out of my suitcase when I come home saying no stop giving me fish I'm not taking fish through customs I can't take that. I'm gonna have to declare that I'm exactly. sorry <laughs> But it's really good fun. And there's this uh, really lovely restaurant in Lagos called Yellow Chili that does the most wonderful seafood okra. So that's definitely on my list. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. Well, okay. So when you're in Bristol, what are you having? What are you – are you making dinner most nights or are you ordering? Are you going to a restaurant? What's happening? So we live in the middle of nowhere. I'm looking out the window now and I can see sheep. So there's sheep that way and there's sheep that way and there's sheep that way and sheep that way. I mean, literally, I can get out of my house and walk for five miles and only bump into sheep. So we're really rural. Luckily, there's a really nice shop. It's Waitrose, which is a beautiful shop, about 15 minutes drive away. But there's no delivery. There's no Uber Eats. There's no delivery whatsoever. But the good thing... Yeah. The good thing is you get really good at cooking. So if you can't right. order an Indian takeaway, you learn how to make it. So tonight we're having dal because I love dal. And it's easy and it's lovely. And my husband makes it wonderfully. So that's really good. So we're having dal with some, I think we're having it with um, salmon, a seared salmon with some lemongrass and lime and stuff. So that's tonight. I'm going to have to listen to this audio before I place any more orders and just think through a, a number of decisions, like ordering decisions. <laughs> I mean, that I sounds like exactly so what I want to have for dinner. I miss, I miss the restaurant thing, though. So when our holidays are all based around where do we want to eat and p- planning in where can we go, where we can get, you know, and the tr- trouble is like I go to Nigeria for five days and I've got 20 restaurants. It's how do I fit 20 restaurants into five days? I'm desperate to come back to New York because one of my favorite restaurants in the world is Casa Mono in New York. And it's <gasps> I just, love I Casa love, Mono. it's oh, just my favorite. So There's a tomato salad I ate in Casa Mono eight years ago that I still dream of today. It was the most perfect tomato salad I've ever had had in my whole life and I can't recreate okay. it so I got I've got to go back. Well then that first of all you're coming here. After yes. I get back from London, you'll come here. We'll go to Casamana. We'll have a delicious, I don't know, Malbec. What would you say you're drinking? Oh, yeah. Casamana, right? <laughs> like it's got to be a Malbec. And then we'll, and then we will have our tomato salad and we'll eat it outside because you can sit outside yes. there, right? It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and maybe yeah. a cava. What about cava? Maybe I mean, a cava. And the other place I really want to go, so I bought his cookbook, is David Chang and. <gasps> yes. Fat Mama Foku. So yes. I bought the cookbook, but it's really hard. I think it's a little bit above my pay grade. So <laughs> he's got things like you're making ramen and it's like, you know, that recipe inside a recipe inside a recipe. So to make the ramen, I need to do 16 other recipes. 
some of which take three days, but it's beautiful. And he writes beautifully. I love cookie writers who write, they immerse you in the food. You know, you can actually oh feel their God, love yes. for the food in the layers and the way they talk about it. So he's great. And Nigella writes about food like that as well. Where you're, Nigella's writing about food is incredible. Totally is. with you. I mean, I can take Nigella to bed. I mean, not the real Nigella. Right. I mean, the books. Although I might <laughs> take the real Nigella. Right. Cool. I mean, maybe both. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I don't even have to be cooking. I can just read about her, read about the way she talks about food. And you just, it's just wonderful. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us here. So if you, so besides cookbooks, which I love that you said that because I feel the same way, but I, however, I feel like what I love about David Chang also is that I have not actually, I've never made a recipe from any of his cookbooks because of exactly what you said, which is that they feel a little overwhelming. But then when you hear him speak like on his podcast, it's yeah. he's always trying to make things simpler, which I really appreciate. Like I really appreciate that he understands that there's like a complexity, but that then he's like, okay, let's just let's just start with the basics. And you're like, thank you. I feel and you get a few now. tricks. As I watch Ugly right. Delicious, if you haven't watched Ugly Delicious, right. you've got to watch it. Okay. And you get oh little tricks about how to make a soy egg, which is simple super easy you do this stuff you put it in the fridge you've got a soy egg which makes your ramen delicious so yeah I think I think sometimes you just have to get in and try but yes so what are there any other fiction writers that you that you love that you were like okay I love that there's food food is another character food is a part of the storytelling it's part of the character development I I love reading about x character from or the characters in so-and-so's books so one book that I'm gonna go back and read again because I keep thinking about it at the minute is like water for chocolate and it's by Laura Esquivel it's quite an old book and it's just beautiful and it has recipes it's just wonderful (laughs) I think it's set in Mexico but I read it so long ago that I could be making all of this up but it is just wonderful and it has these recipes that take you through the book it's almost like the recipes that that tell the story through her life it's beautiful got to read that I remember as a kid growing up with Enid Blyton and growing up in Nigeria and not knowing what jam was but reading about jam tarts not knowing what a tart was and having these imaginations of what's a jam tart and then they ate things like tongue sandwiches and thinking oh tongue and holding my tongue in my mouth thinking oh gosh why are they eating that so I've always been a sucker for food in books you're already going to watch Big Nights because I've told you about that right now I'm going to read I've got I've got to I've got to watch The Big Night I've got to read Water for Chocolate like Water for for Chocolate like Water for Chocolate okay okay and right, there's a, a big book, list. <laughs> there's a book that's just come out called Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. On my list, already Yay. in my library. I'm ready. Okay, now that you've now that you've given it uh, this. This is a huge compliment. Okay, carry on. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. And I haven't read the black cake, <laughs> but I've actually met Charmaine and she has the fruits that you use to make this cake under her in her kitchen. So she's no. going to send me some of these fruits and I am going to try and make black cake, which is like a rum cake. It, so, it's a, it sounds a bit like oh Christmas pudding, but better and gorgeous. Got to be done. Oh, that sounds like... Heaven. Okay, I think by June, I think by July when I make it, we'll ha- you'll have it by then for sure. I mean, I think this is a very, it's a very, that's a, I mean, I, I don't like to make promises here, but I feel like that's, that's tremendous. Okay. All right. 
Nikki, I cannot thank you enough. You have given us so much incredible time. Wait, I want, but I want to, before we wrap up, I want to make sure that we get a little bit about Jaloff, just from you, your take, the differences, the nuances, and then, and then we'll get into, we'll get into our last question, which is always my favorite question ever. And I know yours is going to be just epic, but tell, tell us, so like the Nigerian Jaloff and the, the Ghanaian Jaloff, there's differences, there's nuances, there's different ingredients, what's happening, what, what do we need to know? Tell us. The thing you need to know is there's only one jollof and it is Nigerian jollof. Don't even think <laughs> about Ghanaian jollof. Okay. Don't waste your Forget time. It. Just eat Who Nigerian jollof. It's perfect. That's it. Okay. That's done. Easy. All right. Done. Moving on. So, okay. So tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, for whatever reason, you're going to space. You're going. You're leaving. You're going around the world. You're going to just hover around the earth, go to space. You'll come back. You'll come back. But it's not for a while. We don't know when. Where are we going? What are we eating? What are the meals that are on the menu for the day? It's you're leaving for a while and you're going to have space food, which is kind of a snooze. So why so tell us what's on the menu on on this like one you're like your perfect dream day of eating. It's just a one day. I'm having a sausage and egg sausage and egg McMuffin from McDonald's. I'm so proud of that. I I can't even tell you how proud of you I am. I'm really proud of that. (laughs) That's what I'm having because it's the one day I'm allowed to be dirty. I'm allowed to have it. And it's it's awful. But I'm 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 even going to add a bit of salt. I'm going to have it proper dirty. So once I've had that, I am. Add a little soy sauce. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I'm there. I'm going a bit more upmarket. I'm going to Casamono. Yes. And I'm having that tomato salad that I told you about with, with a me. glass of Malbec Thankfully. with you. We're yes. sitting there, tomato, tomato salad, glass of Malbec, chin chin. That's my lunch because obviously I don't want to go crazy. I had a McMuffin. I need to <laughs> slow things down and get some vegetables into me. So I'm going to have my five a day, at least five tomatoes. So that's sorted. She's, and- very, she's balancing it out. Okay. <laughs> exactly. You've got to keep balance. For supper, we're going to... We're going to, where are we? We're going to Mauritius. And I went to Mauritius a long time ago with my husband. And we went to some very fancy restaurants and we stayed in a really nice hotel. But the meal I remember most was at a little shack on the beach. And we had this fried fish, which they fried in front of us. And it was served with just steamed rice. And it was beautiful the fish was flaky it flaked off and you got plastic bottles of water with all that condensation from the ice outside and it was one of my favorite meals of all time and I think it cost about two bucks about two dollars in proper money it was just heaven so we're going to find that beach shack the sun is going to be shining and we're going to sit there eating fried fish and rice and what's to drink anything are we going to have that rosé? Oh, iced water. Of yeah. course. Of course we are. Then we're going to go to the beach bar. Then we're going to the beach bar. Okay, and what's cocktails. happening? Cocktails. Yes. <laughs> yes. What, kind, what would be a go-to cocktail for you? I'm a margarita girl. That's yes. why they're in the book. I like a margarita. I like I that icy, salty. And I, salt I do rim. like tequila. I think tequila is, I don't drink spirits apart from tequila. It's fantastic. Tequila is fantastic. You are fantastic. This was the biggest treat. I can't thank you enough. Nikki, tell us, tell our listeners where they can find you and where they can find Wahala. 
So I'm Mickey May and my debut novel, Well Hello, is out now and you can get it wherever they sell books, I hope. And apparently the audiobook is great. I haven't listened to it yet because I'm I too scared. I loved it. Cool. So audio, listen, read, and then watch it on telly in a year's time when it comes out. And you can follow me on Twitter, please do, at Mickey O. May. And I'm on Instagram at Mickey May Writer. Oh, my God. Mickey May. Thank you so much. What a treat. What a treat. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at JacquelineLondonRD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.